Now, I think I'm the only person involved today who is lucky enough to be supervised by Doreen and John, funnily enough, <laughs> for my PhD a rather long time ago. Uh, and in the spirit of today, they helped to turn what was going to be a very straightforward uh, geographical comparison about workers' organisation in two different places, uh, looking at the kind of traditions rooted in place, into something which was much more systematic with a, system a sensitivity to the non-local as well. Now, hopefully these will come up to kind of wake everybody up a bit. I've got a few pictures. Um, because this, of course, is classic Doreen, and this echoes through what Ash and Jamie have been talking about. And in, at that time, which was the early 1990s, we developed an argument that the two English towns I was looking at each had very particular forms of local organisation. So this argument was not to detract at all from the specificity of place. What was really going on in these places? What made workers think the ways that they did? What was the history of those places, the traditions of the workplace, the labour process, and so on? But interestingly, they both niggled me over the years to make sure that these traditions were understood in dialectical relationship with the non-local as well. And that became a big theme of the work. Obviously, the workers themselves were employed by transnational companies. So even though they worked in one place, they were linked through the relations of capital. They lived in the same nation, so they were engaged in the same kinds of political conversation, forms of citizenship, and so on. But interestingly, I found that workers moved and brought their traditions with them. So they translated traditions from one place to another. They brought organizing ideas with them as they moved. And they were also influenced by what I call demonstration effects, the way in which ideas in one place travel across space. So workers might see other groups of workers organising in particular ways, developing new strategies, and then try them out themselves. And this is the global justice movement, I think, has shown this very clearly in recent times, how things can be translated across place and space, but in so doing, they are transformed and then reincorporated into those places. So this, was, for me, was very, very exciting um, and it turned what, as I said, was probably a very dull and rather ill-conceived project into something which was much more exciting. Now, recently, I've been engaging with Doreen's work uh, about the politics of place. Um, and as Jamie said, this book, World City, has been very, very helpful to me. Thinking about what makes places what they are, and if we really take that seriously, what does that mean for the kinds of politics we should practice? And that sounds like a very simple idea, but it's actually a very complicated idea, in particularly in today's world, where all the interconnections and traffic um, and flows between places are, are so much deeper and more extensive at the same time. So really, I've been grappling with the question of politics. Politics with a big P, the kind of official politics. How does this stuff affect big politics? But also, how does it affect little politics, organising, resisting, trying to do all the things Jamie was talking about at the end there, about creating a new kind of place. Uh, and I've been thinking about these things in relation to London. As I say, using this book, much more than I ever thought I would when I bought it. I always love Doreen's work. It's incredibly accessible. There's loads of ideas. But this has been incredibly useful to thinking through the kind of concrete things I've been grappling with. And now I've been working with colleagues at Queen Mary on a project we've called Global Cities at Work. And this is about the role of migrant workers in low-wage jobs in London. So you can see why this book is very, very useful. We've interviewed about 400 workers and we've looked at their migration histories, their conditions of work, their survival strategies, and their links back home. Um, and in many ways, we can't do this stuff, the kind of 
empirical interviewing, story gathering, uh, collection of information without thinking about London at the same time. Because these people are making London what it is. They are making the city work. Uh, and they're doing so through their connections to the rest of the world. Now, Doreen's arguments have been incredibly helpful because what she's argued is that we can't understand London without thinking about those connections, not just now, but historically. But at the same time, we have to take it a stage further and think how London has been complicit in the development of a particular kind of global political economy in the last 30 years, which we now call neoliberalism, not least thanks to Jamie on my left. Um, and this neoliberalism has had huge implications for London itself, but also for the rest of the world. So on the one hand, it stimulated all the changes in London's economy, um, which we associate now with the crisis, financialization, and from my point of view, subcontracting, the kind of privatization, outsourcing of particularly low-wage jobs, and all the migrant workers we've interviewed are embedded in a subcontracted employment relationship. It's also fueled polarization in the, in the economy uh, and f massive inequality in London. On the other hand, as well, it's exported this model of capitalism to the rest of the world. So we see increased market penetration, those very subcontracted employment relationships developing in export processing zones all over the world, growing inequality and increase in the desire to migrate, the need to, to migrate and the desire to migrate. That then brings home neoliberalism back uh, to London as workers are increasingly moving to a city like ours, filling the low-paid jobs that have been so degraded that locals who can claim benefits and find other ways of surviving don't want to do them. And so with colleagues, we've been talking about London having a migrant division of labour. And I think we couldn't have kind of come at this formulation without using uh, this book and Doreen's ideas. So just to give you a flavour of this... Um, oh, we've got, my slides were wrong. No, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So to give you a flavour of this this extraordinary diversity that now exists in our city. This was one cleaning contract we looked at in one building at Canary Wharf. There were 105 workers, and amongst those 105 workers, we found 20 different, 29 different countries of origin, one of which was the UK, so 28 outside Britain. And this is just one contract. So you have incredibly multinational workforces in buildings like those towers at Canary Wharf. These are the people cleaning the building, mostly at night, but then also in the daytime, there's another international workforce that are coming in to do all the financial jobs uh, that Jamie was talking about. So our question then, and Doreen's question, is what kind of politics makes sense in dealing with this kind of world? And that, as I said earlier, is, is actually a harder question than you might think. So at the end of World City, Doreen tries to raise some of these questions about what would a concrete politics in London look like if it took its geographical responsibilities seriously. Uh, and she talks about Ghanaian workers recruited to support the NHS, climate change, how London's involvement in climate change could be something that was dealt with locally as well as thinking non-locally. The question of tax justice, which the Guardian's had lots of stuff on recently, it's been incredibly powerful all about how the people in the City of London making all their profits, exporting their model of neoliberalism, are not paying tax and are using other geographical spaces to avoid paying tax in offshore tax havens and so on. And she's got some fabulous stuff about oil and the economy of oil, which again is traded in London. 
So in many ways, what we're doing is looking at the city and the injustice on which the city itself depends. And of course, my Migrant Workers Project has, is part of this story. Um, workers are working here and they're remitting so that people can support families and so on back home. Now, many of these workers have been involved in the London Living Wage campaign uh, that... Oh, I've lost a slide there. Um, this is supported by an organisation called London Citizens, which is a broad-based coalition of different organisations, faith, labour, educational organisations like our own department, various schools. Interestingly, forging relationships and solidarity across difference in the city. So the stuff Doreen talks about multiplicity, that space is about multiplicity, being in place is a key part of the story. So the coalition tries to forge links across difference within London. And it's always been focused on trying to improve the terms and conditions of work. Interestingly, it was supported by Ken Livingston, who should be here later, and that's been then taken up by Boris Johnson. Now, since the campaign started in 2001, it's involved about 5,000 workers and redistributed about £20 million back into the pockets of low-wage Londoners. Now, that is a drop in the ocean in terms of the numbers of workers on low wages in London. Um, but what's interesting is that it's improved wages and conditions in London. It's a very local politics. But in so doing, because the workers are migrants, it's increased the amount of money they're able to remit back home, so it has implications for the rest of the world. And I think this is Doreen's politics in action. More controversially, perhaps, what the campaign seeks to do is to improve job quality. And that, in the long term, if we really thought about making bad jobs better jobs and improving job quality, might then reduce the demand for migrants in the first place. Migrant workers are here doing those jobs because they're not jobs that local people uh, want to do unless they have to do them. So at the minimum, the campaign has been about increasing respect for workers and the jobs that they do, linking that, interestingly, to political rights, because a lot of these workers are not able to exercise rights unless they have political rights and citizenship, and there's a regularisation campaign going on at the same time. But at the maximum level, I think this campaign is part of a much bigger network of engagements where people are trying to enforce responsibility the corporate social responsibility movement, the global justice movement, they're all really trying to call the powerful to account for themselves, to enforce responsibility, to thereby change the, the very nature of global capitalism itself. And in many ways, maybe picking up Jamie's point, we could think of London here being a pioneer of a different kind of export, a different kind of model of the economy, a more sustainable way of living, um, something that's part of a bigger movement to enforce responsibility. So we have a lot to thank Doreen for. Uh, the way in which she's developing sophisticated academic ideas, but they're always practical, they're always grounded, they're always things you can use, and she's always been willing to understand the world, but also try to change it, and I think that's something we should uh, cherish and celebrate today. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.